This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. So what's up everyone ladies and gentlemen we got Ray Ragunath Capo on the show today now my question is I know from interviews I've seen of you that you say that the purpose of life or one of the purposes of life is self-edification um just working on yourself to achieve a better version of yourself why would you say that that is the purpose um well i think everybody chooses it's a good question why i think uh people choose like what what is the goal of life what do i want to accomplish with this life they put a bumper sticker on their car that says something like whoever dies with the most toys wins or life's a beach or things like that for me i i i I, I, self-introspection always sort of resonated with me um, that life has a reason why we're here. And I feel like spiritual paths have a lot in common in that regard that we are not here necessarily just to have fun. I mean, fun comes and goes. Fun is sometimes in your lap and sometimes very f- far away if that's your philosophy on life, I have felt like, you know what, that isn't a home run per se, because a lot of people don't have a lot of fun. And then what you're stuck with 50% of a life that sucks. And the more I studied my spiritual path, the more I realized like actually a better way to view life is life is here for growing and growing. We get it opportunities. We get it when um, all opportunities, we get it when, the economy sucks or the economy is great when your love life is great or if your love life sucks, if your fine personal finances are not so together, if you're, or you're, you're, if you're very capable with your personal finances, whatever it is, I, I'm firmly fixed that I'm here to evolve. And if, and that's what I'd like to do in this life. Um, and um, that was the pursuit. That was, the, I think the initial reason why I I felt like a push to start that band youth of today because I felt like it was a it was a band about trying to evolve yourself more than even it was about straight edge now people don't get this but to me straight edge was like a, a stepping stone for evolution personal evolution and that's why I never felt like I've achieved it I've hit this nirvana now that I've given up alcohol and intoxication I thought those were great things but I always all I felt like it was a threshold to something greater. Um, and from there, I sort of like began my spiritual quest and I, I still sort of feel the same way. I still feel like I'm on the same track I've always been on. Um, it's just now like 35 years down the line in that regard. Yeah. And you talk about how the yogic path is one of putting the microscope on the self and just constant self analyzation and to become, to, stray away from drugs and alcohol and any of that stuff which made you you know straight edge and all that you had to have been putting the microscope on yourself in some sort of way even at the early age of how old were you when you went straight edge 
Uh, 16. At the early age of 16, why did you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, man. I have no idea. To me, it's sort of like I was sort of punk, and I, and I, was, I wasn't like, when I was 16, I wasn't part of a bigger punk collective, really. I was just like a kid who wanted to do things different. And to me, like giving into the uh, tobacco industry, giving into like intoxicants, like all, all these kids are doing in school. I was like, I don't want to be like that. There's got to be something more to life than just that. And it didn't seem so clever. It seemed like, you know, we've got, we've been given this body, the body is a gift and we're just like screwing with it. Why would we do that? Why would you wreck a gift? So for me, I got into health and, and healthy living at a young age. And it just, it, it didn't make any rational sense to me. So Youth of Today was born from that desire. Like this, we're here to grow. We're here to have a clean life, um, an introspective life, um, uh, do good things in this world. I don't know why that came to me, but that's what it, that's what it came to. And then it just kept on evolving from there. But like at an age of 16, I can only imagine that um, you can, you're like pretty much isolated from kids in that age group because at that age, especially like in the 80s and 90s, um, like everybody's into all that, you know, just partying, living in the moment, toxifying their yeah. bodies, their and, minds. And, really, and they really want to be loved and accepted. You know, that's probably the underlying desire. Mm-hmm. But I had, you know, I had a very big high school, I grew up in Connecticut. And um, so that was the standard, but I found a few freaks like myself and um, we got into punk and we somehow used punk as a way to Mm -hmm. sort of see, yeah, punk is different. We're not like those guys. Then, then when I got deeper into punk, I realized, no, punk's worse. (laughs) All these guys are the worst drugs, Mm -hmm. worst types of intoxication. They'll drink all night. And so then, um, you know, then I heard the song minor threat and I was like, Oh, that's actually what I am. I'm actually straight edge. I don't want to be like those people. I, I, I was believing that this whole time. And then they coined that phrase. Um, and so I, that just, I, I just always just called myself straight edge from then when, on. When did you go vegetarian? And then as I, as I, uh, you know, I always had sympathy for the idea of vegetarianism and it was very, very peculiar thing there in the eighties, in the early eighties, which is hard to believe now because it's actually in the, public conversation like you can go to get a vegan i don't know if it's vegan or not but pretty vegan burger from burger king it's actually unbelievable Mm -hmm. so um it wasn't in the conversation there was not health food stores there was not veggie burgers there was not anything back then Mm -hmm. it was just a free-for-all and you buy some random book or get a random book at a library there was not a big movement if it was it was very underground so I just came to this idea that how can we live a, live, a, live a life where we love animals, but we also slaughter them? Um, it, it seemed like a, and it seems like everybody will say, oh, I love animals. I, mean, I think they're great. But then, then why would we actually all of a sudden depersonalize my dog? Yeah. And when I see a cow and just say, okay, this cow this has no soul. This has no idea of self. This has, this is a thing. This is a commodity. And this dog is my best friend. Mm-hmm. It almost like you're creating like a, a sociopath's mind. Yeah. And I got that intuition at a young age. And then I got into interested in like yoga philosophy 
And um, I got a Krishna book called The Higher Taste. And it explained ethical reasons, moral reasons, spiritual reasons, health reasons, why uh, vegetarian options are a good choice. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. That actually is answering all these questions I had. It doesn't make sense what they're doing. It's creating almost a type of internal duplicity. So, but I was, there was not like a support group. There was not like friends of animals or um, uh, uh, vegan youth. It it was very peculiar and I didn't know anybody, anybody that was a vegetarian at all. But I think, I thought, you know what? When I move out of my parents' house, I'll learn how to cook and I will you know, become a vegetarian. And so when I turned 18, that's when I started. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't easy because I, it's not because I didn't like meat. I just felt it was ethically inappropriate. If we're singing about changing the world and ending wars and being compassionate, I don't have to go very far. I can just look at myself. Oh man, you're incompassionate. You're not being compassionate right now. So you're saying that this happened at such a young age, young age. Do you believe that this all happened for a reason that you were destined to follow this path in life that you were given this consciousness to like feel sympathy for animals at such a young age? Cause I know at, at that age, like, you know, kids aren't worried about that. They aren't worried about, um, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's just like, whatever the mainstream ideas are is what a 16 year old thinks about in these, in this like Kali Yuga, you know? So it's, you know, it's interesting. It's a good point because I, and I think it's two, two answers to that. One is there is a karma or a destiny that we have. We're, we're picking up things from a previous life. You know, my daughter's sitting next to me and she's 15 and she's really into animal rights and caring for animals and loving animals. So in one sense, it's her karma. She was born into a family that doesn't eat it. So that's good karma. But it's also the company she keeps because the company we keep, that creates our future choices. Even if you were born in a very spiritual family, you could just say, we're not into this. And that happens a lot due to the company we keep. So there's two, two things in our life. One is that good or bad karma that we were born with. And how we use, and then it's what we do with what we've got that starts to create our next step. I do think that there might have been some inclination for it in a previous life because, like you said, most sixteen-year-olds are just trying to like forget about everything. And I was sort of like trying to be conscious, and I became a monk at twenty-two, and I was like over the idea of like sleeping around or getting drunk or getting wasted. And that's usually twenty-two. That's when it all starts, at least. Yeah, that's the climax. That's the climb. That's the, this is the high. There's the, my body's working. My body's look, I can eat anything. My body still looks pretty good. You know, for me, it was like, it saved me from a reckless life of my twenties. And, but, but not only just saved me, I was actually materially exhausted at 22. So even any success I had with music, I was like, I needed, I, I needed to understand how material success can't give me what my heart actually wants. And that was sort of a blessing. That success was a blessing because it made me realize this isn't it. There must be something greater than this. Well, I guess another, the big thing is, is like to someone who is eating meat, yet they don't necessarily advocate for the abuse of animals or how we're treating the planet or anything like that. The question is, why are you doing so then? Because to me, it all goes back to 
essentially flavor because if it tasted bad that would wipe out a lot of the people who who eat it <laughs> right and it, it kind of brings it back to controlling the senses and controlling your own mind and the path of spirituality or the yogic path or whatever you want to call it it's about controlling the the senses that can make a fool out of you know out of anybody yeah and, and um i started realizing that at in the middle of youth of today that the real goal here is to control my senses. And that, that's what really makes a man, a man, so to speak. Um, 100%. is yeah. And truthfully, it makes a boy, a man, if a man can start to control his senses. If he can't, they become like a, like a fool. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they, even in an adult body, they just act like a bunch of children. Mm -hmm. So that's a, the most important thing. I think it's the biggest protest we can ever do is the protest against our own senses owning us. It's very easy to go out and protest against the world. <laughs> but truthfully, it, it, can, it has the ability to create a crooked thinking. A thinking like the world is wrong, but I'm great. Mm -hmm. And you got to be careful about that in spiritual life. Is I've got to take note about my shortcomings. And not fine tune how I see the shortcomings of the entire world. That's what we become expert at where she is off and where he is off and where the president's off and where the, yeah. you know, the, the Biden's off. And, and we're always trying to find where everybody else is off, but we're very rarely turning that microscope on me and finding where am I off? What could I do to improve the quality of my life and the quality of the, the environment and the, uh, and the quality of the world? And I think that's the biggest, um, that is the biggest rebellion. That is the biggest protest that should be going on. Um, and when we start to worry about ourselves, it's not like that we'll just live in a little box in peace. It's not true because we're all part of this world. When I start to radically change myself, the world changes. This isn't just spirituality talking now. Mm -hmm. This is like any even Western therapist. You know, if I go to a therapist and say, yeah, my wife is driving me crazy and my wife did this to me and my wife has a drinking problem and my wife is, you know, cheating on me and my wife, a good therapist will say, oh yeah, and what do you do? A, a good therapist won't say, yeah, your wife is a jerk. A good therapist will say, what's your responsibility in this? And the, a therapist will always bring it back to what is your responsibility? You think the world's a mess? What's your responsibility in this? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And generally, any thoughtful people, the, the Greeks, the Indians, they'll say things like, the best way to persuade people is to live by example. That's the best way to persuade people. And as we persuade, we do it with love, not with hate. If we really want to change the world, we change. For example, suppose you have a, a vicious, I'm not even saying the world is great. I'm saying you see some things that are horrible out there. It's just like you're dealing with a, a vicious dog. Sometimes people, you go to a pound and you want to adopt a dog and the guy will say, this dog's not good with children. I said, why? The dog was beaten. The dog's very upset. He bites everybody. Okay, so what should we do? So you bring the dog home. He starts biting. He starts tearing up your house. What do you do to that dog? You beat him? You don't beat a mean dog to get it to be nice. You love the dog. We're trying to beat love into everybody and everybody hates each other now. We've created so much hate in the name of trying to be more loving and caring and conscious and not, it's, it's so sad what we do. What we really want is love and we've created a lot more hate.
because we think we've got all the answers, but you know what? The sages have always had the answers to this. And we want to improve the world. We do it by becoming more loving ourselves. And it really works. It really, really works. I, I look at it. Do you mind if I just keep rolling with this? Keep it going. Keep it going. Okay. You know, I just look at it. You know, when I was young, we were really into animal rights. And I saw two streams of people getting into animal rights. One, this like very violent direct action group. And I could appreciate them because there's some really horrible things out there. And I had friends in both camps. Then there were poor people like more into spiritual things. They stopped uh, becoming, uh, they stopped eating meat, start to work on their own self, saw vegetarianism as a facet of their bigger picture of themselves. And just as a witness, I started to notice the people who were just like hardcore animal rights activists, a lot of them, maybe not all of them, became incredibly angry people, incredibly hateful people. It created others. It was a lot of binary thinking, us versus them. And I realized like at that point, like, I don't want to be like this. Is this a goal to have some type of justice for the animals, but I'm just like a hateful, bitter person now? So I thought there must be like a complete whole, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It's sort of like a full spectrum improvement of the world. And I'm part of that spectrum. Like if I want the world to change, I want to also be able, I want to be in on that too, because I want to change my consciousness. I don't want to become a hateful person. I don't want to just fine tune all the problems out there. And that's all I can think of. I think about the climate and I think about the earth and the water tables and what's going on. And I think about the, the, the commercial farming. And then I think about the organic farming. And even if they're doing organic farming, they're still, you know, killing so many things just to, uh, you know, uh, to plow and etc. with tractors. And they start to worry about fossil fuels and it just never ends. And you could just spin out of control, fine tuned on what is wrong. And if the goal is just to worry about what's wrong, better to figure out what can I do for myself that's right, right? And then, I could, and then from there, work from there. And so that's, oh, again, that's always been like the spiritual trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, it, can you get that, Catherine? It's always been the spiritual trajectory is do, do my self-work first. And so much good will come from that. And going back to that or, or original analogy, with uh, the husband and the wife, that's how you're going to change the marriage too. Mm-hmm. You work on yourself. You, I'm not going to change my wife by nagging on her. I'm like, you better change this and this and this and this. Even if you have kids and you want to change your kids, nagging the kids is not working. Beating the kids is not working. You know, in a sense, it's like, your- in a sense, it's like, it's, it would be easier to, it'd be easier to change yourself than change every single person and every single situation in the world around you. But in the, and on the other, on the other side of the coin, it is very difficult to know your own faults. Um, some Chinese philosophy book that I have talks about how, if you know your own faults and that's the definition of a sage and going back to a different interview where you had, you were talking about how pretty much the, let me see, I got it right here. Let me pull it up. You talked about how the Giva or the spirit must go through eight elements to leave the material universe. The first one being earth and the eighth and the hardest one being the ego, which means controlling your own self is much harder than controlling others around you. Maybe you could be 
a leader or maybe you could be um, a dictator and you, in a sense, control hundreds and thousands of people around you, but maybe you can't even control your own lustful desires and that could lead to your own downfall or whatever it may be. I love that you're thinking like this at 20, you're 22? Uh, 24. 24. It's so yeah. good to hear people that are 24 thinking like this. Well, you know what it is, man? It's like, well, first of all, thank you. And second of all, it's like, in, you know why? You know why, Angel? You're Angel, right? Are you? Angel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know why, Angel? Because everyone's talking about like uh, we treat women with equality and equal rights for everybody, and they talk a good talk, but truthfully, it's up to them controlling their own senses. Yeah. Because once you have once a person, let's let's talk about men right here. Once a man is possessed by lust, mm-hmm. you don't love women anymore. Mm-hmm. You see them as a commodity. Yes. And that, if you want to talk about sexism, that's the most sexist thing you could do. So if, before anybody opens their mouth about women, especially men, about equality to women and, uh, uh, you know, treat women with equal rights, I want you to zip up your pants and like, and put a, put a lock on it and learn how to control your lower chakras or else you're just talking out your ass to try to impress people. So you can actually objectify a woman and see them as a thing for your enjoyment because lust makes you depersonalize a being and mm-hmm. seeing them as an object. And that it, it's that simple. If you really want to learn to love a person, lust can't be in the equation. That's from the Bible. Yep. <laughs> it's from the teachings of the East, but truthfully it's just common sense. Mm-hmm. It's just common sense. There's a difference between love and lust. Lust means I want it because I'm a little selfish right now. Whereas love means I'm here to give this person something special because I care for them and I'll bend over back. I'll jump through hoops, whatever they need to take care of them. And I think it's another thing with men, especially they have to figure out the difference between love and lust. Yes. I met a guy once I haven't seen him in like 25 years. We were friends when we were teenagers. And I said, so what's up, man? Are you uh you know, are you married? Do you have any kids? And he, his response was so sad. He just said, oh man, I can't get married. I love women too much. <laughs> and I thought, I thought to myself, this guy never grew up. He doesn't, he loves them like a lion loves a lamb. He doesn't love them in the sense, I'm here to give to this person. I'm here to care. Like he, he missed out on love. He, he skipped that boat. He skipped that whole like evolutionary process and is still in a little boy stage where he just likes switching partners so much and he wants to not love them. He wants to consume them. Mm. That's a, that's a different whole different beast. Yeah. And um, one of the Upanishads that I have, it talks about how to reach the human form, it takes 8 million reincarnations or something along those lines. 8 million, 432,000. Yeah. And it's pretty much the, it's like consciousness embodied in the physical. But in my, in my opinion, you know, one of the main things that separates uh, human from the rest of their, all the other species is um, uh, refined conscious thought and uh, rational thought and being able to act outside of your uh, carnal impulses. And pretty much it's just control over the senses. If you Which give is sort uh, of the reason why, like, that's why we don't mess with drugs or alcohol. It's like, cause then that very, very important mm-hmm. gift you have, you can keep it to refine your choices. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the people who drink, they have this thing called beer goggles. They put on, you drink so much, like everybody looks good, you know. It's not everybody looks good because you're loving and filled with joy and care. Everybody looks good because you're so pathetically desperate Mm -hmm. and you just want to, you'll take anything for your own selfish desires. So yeah, it's the most refined thing we can do is to um, start to control our senses in our mind. Mm -hmm. Speaking of like drugs and alcohol, what do you, what are your, what's your take on psychedelics in their relation to spirituality? What would you say about that? Like in terms of like ayahuasca rituals and like psilocybin that have like helped people connect with the higher power, you know? I think that, um, I don't think you have to go there to get God. I do think that they could, they do have, they do have an effect and can, can help some people, but they can also hurt people. Too. Like I had, I had a best friend that took LSD and he just jumped in front of a train because he realized like he was like 17 years old. We were good friends and he was 17 years old and he thought, you know, life is temporary. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a true realization. Life is temporary. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to end it right now. I also, I also personally think you're opening yourself up, your subtle body, to all types of instructions and not necessarily all from God because there's other beings out there. There's, I'm, not, I'm not making this up just because it's, you know, it's you know, Ray Capo's like mystery hour of you know, ghouls and ghosts and stuff like that. But I definitely I, – the Vedas teach that there are – uh, higher beings, just like Christians, Jews call, call demons, or uh, the New Testament talks about demons and angels. But the Vedas go through, they, they actually give names to different species of subtle beings. And sometimes they're benevolent, and sometimes they're very dark and malevolent. And when you open up your, um, perhaps, I'm not sure, but perhaps when you, when you screw around with these uh, psychedelics, you're opening yourself up to be influenced by these other beings, not just psychedelics. I think intoxicants as well. Um, so I think it depends on your consciousness. That's why there's the concept of a bad trip where not a lot of great spiritual insight comes from it. So do I think they're completely evil? No, it probably depends on whose hands they are in. And I guess the result of what happens to it, if it brings you to a higher place, then it's a good thing, but I wouldn't want to rely on an external thing for my spiritual realization. I believe it can just come from between me and God. Mm-hmm. And I think if there is a God in the sky somewhere, I don't have to, I don't have to take ingest something to, to find it. Cause what if I can't, what if I'm in a prison or if I'm in a place where that it doesn't grow or I'm not obsolete. I, I don't think a benevolent loving force would make me have to, you know, digest something out of my, out of my reach. So, um, so to change topics real quick, you lived as a monk for six years, but when you left when you were 22 years old, yeah. why did you, why did you leave at 22? What was going I, through your head when you decided, fuck this, I'm going to become a monk? Oh, uh, I think it was like a, a, a series of many things that happened in my life. I was always sort of felt like I was on a spiritual path, but I had some material hopes and desires. 
and even even like a material calling to do good work in the world. But I got to the point where I realized even the good work has a limit because it's not just cleaning up the gross things. You got to clean up the subtle things. Just like with a car, you don't just want to wash the outside of the car. You got to make sure the engine's running good too. So externally, I was healthy. Externally, I was popular. Externally, I was... um, I, I had some money. I could make money doing music. Externally, I, you know, he even had a side job at a vegetarian restaurant. And externally, I, you know, reasonably good people in my life. But internally, I was troubled because the fame part of it, I couldn't handle how to deal with fame. Popularity, I couldn't handle how to deal with popularity. Um, wealth, I couldn't, or money, I, I couldn't handle. All these things are like energies, and unless you know how to hold onto that energy and use them where it makes you grow and makes you whole and makes you connected, then these energies can be useful. But if you don't know how to use them, those energies start to burn you out. And I've, I'm sure you know people who've ruined their life, not just from uh, being in a desperate situation, but some people ruin their life becoming successful. Some people ruin their life um, because not because they can't get a girlfriend, but because girls are in love with them. Like some guys were just like so gorgeous that they feel like they become almost sex addicts because of it. So people ruin their lives with good fortune, not just misery. And then of course, when we do have a lot of good fortune, we start to realize actually, no matter how fortunate I am, I'm not getting a pass on pain, but even devastating pain. So for me, I had good fortune and I realized that the material good fortune it wasn't what it's cracked up to be. And on the flip side, uh, a stable figure in my life, my father, he had died. Um, he, he went through a three-year sickness and then died unexpectedly. Um, uh, so it was, it was a little devastating to realize the material world can't protect you from death. And he wasn't that old. He was like 10 years older than me now. So I thought the material world is not protecting my father. What makes me think I can't die like my father just died? And then I start to think, what do I actually want for the material world anyway? Like, what's the goal with all this to become the super duper star, you know, straight edge. And then what? And then everybody's straight edge. That would be a nice thing. Everybody's vegetarian. That's a nice thing. What if people are still greedy? What if people are still angry? What if people are still lusty? What if people are still, you know what I mean? There's so many things that you can be straight edge and still be a total asshole, still be a total narcissist, still be not using your critical thinking. So I started to think like, before I even take another step, (laughs) you know, it was such a big thing, you know, uh, recently people were saying, you know, silence means complicity. Remember that? Silence. You don't say anything yeah, yeah. that you're being complicit. Uh-huh. And I always thought, really? What about thinking? Where does, what, what about just like you're thinking about stuff? A lot of big stuff has happened. Why don't we start thinking about like, okay, why do these things happen? What's the best way to go about change? You know, I don't think silence always means you're complicit. It just means you're, you're going deep and starting to think deeply about what is my best course of action. Just like if you come up the street and you just push me. So to do nothing, I'm not trying to be complicit. I just want to think, well, how should I react here? Should I hit him back? Should I tackle him? Should I call a cop? Should I run for my life? 
you know, should, I use, like, should I use my Gracie Jiu Jitsu? <laughs> should I give him a heel hook? <laughs> so uh, it, it's one of these things like we got to think about these things before we act. So I was at this point where like, who do I want to become in this world? Who do I want to become? Like, where am I going? If I stay on this trajectory, where will I be? And do I want to be that? And I started realizing I don't want to be that. And I, I need to pause my life and my band and my friends and my family and just sort of make a cut. I'm and not recommending you, you do that, mm-hmm. but it's what I had to do. I and when you had to do it. When you moved to India, you were no AC when it was cold. I mean, when it was hot, no heat when it was cold. You had, <laughs> if it was cold, you'd take cold showers. If it was hot, you'd take hot showers. Yeah. There's no TV, nothing to purchase. How was, how was that? It was, uh, you realize how comfortable and how he's sort of like, what do you want? Truth or comfort? I wrote that song, the old shelter song in the name of comfort. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we'll compromise our entire integrity just to be a little comfortable. So um, it was good. It made you realize, do you want this? If you really want it, this is what you're gonna have to do to get it. And um, it put me in a situation where my senses could not get satisfied. And therefore you become a little like, you strip away all like the pleasures of the material world. And that's what being a monk is. There's nothing else to take shelter in. So two things happen. You either become very miserable and sort of like hop the fence, so to speak. And I've seen that happen. Or you start to figure out, okay, what is this ashram teaching for meditation techniques? How can I find an inner peace? I'm not getting it from shopping. Shopping was fun. I'm not getting it from Amazon. I'm not getting it from like, you know, stuff in my face with whatever or drinking or party or going out or going to restaurants. That's how we traditionally get fun. Once you take all those things away, how do I find happiness? And that's a really an art of living because if I could figure out how to be happy with nothing, I've sort of cracked the, cracked the code of the safe of life. Mm-hmm. But like the thing is, is what um, me personally, what I'm dealing with in a way is, I know there's a path out there to follow the true path that sheds all this materialism, sheds all this like shallow, you know, sense pleasures and all this stuff. But I live in a city, New York city, which I feel like is the most condensed area where all this stuff is just bombarding me everywhere I go, you know? So it's overwhelming, um, man. It's, it, bro, it's a war, like every single day, like to, to deal with everything. Like it's a constant reminder. I'm like in constant, like, meditation no matter where i am to remind myself of stay on it balance stay on it you know and um it's a lot and i just wanted to ask you honestly like what are your thoughts of like following the path while living in a city in a major city with all this going on that's a great question you have to be very very connected to good people yeah you know why because the it's, it's got too many options of illusion yeah mm-hmm. too many options and illusion for illusion and for a person on the spiritual path, the, there's nothing exciting about the city any longer. Big deal. I'm gonna, oh, okay, yeah. It's all about your economic status or your ego status. So eventually people on a spiritual path, they get out of the city or they find a community of people that are doing great work within a city because that's a great thing about, like I just did a program on the rooftop of the Bhakti Center last Saturday. I wish you guys were there. I would love to meet you. For sure. But um, Next time. it was, uh, huh? Yeah, it was uh, next time for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it was a, uh, it was a great community of people. And because it was in the city, 
yeah. they got together really easy like that. And um, I seen that on your Instagram page, I believe the you guys ch- chanting and dancing and the music and it was it looks really amazing. It is amazing. It's totally amazing. Matter of fact, they have this great place on Twenty Five First Avenue. They have an incredible community. Now I don't have like a huge community out here because I live in the sticks, but you know, and I got to travel to do stuff. Actually, we have a little village community, but in the city, it's like a massive community. Last time I was there in like February or something, they had this incredible kirtan, like the incredible, with incredible diverse people coming together in, in, in sincere focus and dedication to divinity. It was like the beautiful to witness and be a part of. And I think like, this is why the city is useful, you know? So, uh, it's extra hard unless you have that community and community is there for us on a spiritual path to give us accountability, to help us step up. And so we can pull people up when we're, when, when we're feeling strong and people are feeling down. Part of my life is pulling people up. And then part of my life is reaching up to get pulled up because I'm feeling down. And so you're going to find yourself in a position and that's what for, I see both of you guys. And I was like, this is what real friendship is actually when it's based on something more subtle than this guy just makes me laugh, but he's making me laugh, but I'm degraded from it. You know, there's <laughs> degrading laughter yeah. and then there's uplifting laughter and joyous laughter. So we want to surround ourselves with people that lift us up. And it's almost and, like, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's, it's okay. It's, I just keep talking, man. No, no, it's okay. It's just because before this, before I met um, Angel, for example, like I was in a position where I did have friends where, like you said, it was just degrading laughter, sh- shallow conversation, just like not getting out, not knowing, not, but like I was always in, it was always inside of me just waiting to come out, you know, this like life and like genuine passion and like tears and everything. Just, I want to feel like, like I'm existing. I don't want to just feel like, yeah. Um, you know, just, just having these stupid, and I would consider that friendship, you know, you consider that companions, you consider this, but I feel like as long as you, um, like, just try to stick with it, no matter what it like manifests, you know, like people come out and they start joining your life that have a similar mindset. And it's very interesting looking back how these things just come together. You start attracting different people into your life and, you know, witnessing you guys is actually very inspirational. And on this path that I'm on a bhakti a spiritual path, we don't say, okay, become like, you know, you know, Mr. Spock from the, the Star Trek where you have no emotions and you're free from emotions and desires and passions. Desires, passions, they're normal. And laughter is normal and joy is normal and healthy and dancing is normal and healthy, but it's, it's the why behind it. So I, I love to laugh. Uh, you know, I find myself laughing all the time. But it's not at someone else's expense. It's not to degrade my own consciousness. I just made a certain choice. And I feel like you guys are like there doing it. I, I see myself and both of you guys is you just get to a certain point where like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what you guys are doing anymore. I, I, I want more out of my life, you know? And some people, I'm at 54 years old right now. So some people I look back and they're, they're on Facebook and they're the same kids I knew in high school. And they're still just like they were in high school and they just never let go of that. So I think it's, I think these are huge things and sometimes it requires a massive departure of who I was. At least that's what I had to do. I had to make a massive departure of who I was and to do like a restart and like, and almost to recreate 
recreate myself. Mm-hmm. And I let go of everything to do it. Some people are a little bit more gradual and they're more balanced. I wasn't balanced. I was more of an extremist. I was like, all right, this part of my life is completely over. <laughs> but it, it, I needed it, you know? Like sometimes an alcoholic needs to say, I don't go to bars anymore, period. Like, oh, big deal. We're just going to walk in a bar. You don't have to drink anything. No, I don't go to bars. Sometimes you need to draw a line in the sand. I think on my spiritual path, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to India. Goodbye. I quit the band. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like you said, it's, I don't know if you said it on this one or another one, but everything is a practice. And if you look at life from a, from a viewpoint that it's all about fun, then like you said, you might hate 50% of your life because not everything is fun. But if you look at life from a viewpoint of it's about um, perfecting yourself, obviously you cannot reach perfection, but just perfecting the self that you have of yesterday into a better version of yourself today, then even whether it be a loved one passing away or you having a crazy disease or something like that, or just even just something normal like waiting for the train and it's not coming on time and you find yourself getting aggravated, you can use all of these to better yourself because it's through the biggest suffering that you have that at least me personally through the biggest sufferings I've had always bring me to the biggest realizations of the biggest breakthroughs. The, yeah, exactly. The biggest breakthroughs more, most importantly, mentally, the biggest mental breakthroughs of if you, if you break things down, something I like to do is think if something bad happens, I think to myself, what could I have done to stop this? If the answer is nothing physically and all would just have to be changing my mindset on things. And that's where I know that I have some sort of meditation that I got to do because if not, then I'm just on a neutral plane of not improving and not, you know what I mean? It's beautiful. Um, I have a, did you listen to that Joe Rogan interview I did? Yes. I told that story about me getting attacked and beat up really bad. And in retrospect, I'm not going to pray to get beat up again, but in retrospect, it was the most spiritual experience in my life. You know, it was like such a blessing. Wouldn't trade it in for the world. I found myself like in deep meditation, spiritually connected more than I've ever been connected. I felt like I was like free from the pain of it. And I felt like connected to God as I was getting pounded in the head with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And it was like the most spiritual experience of my life. And I, I reflect on it back with fond memories. Mm-hmm. I have another friend, a spiritual practitioner, and he, you know, he's a father and, uh, you know, probably about 10 years younger than me, but still that's a young, that's a young man. <laughs> and, um, father of two little children. And, uh, you know, he's just got diagnosed with some serious, heavy cancer, like heavy cancer. And when I hear him speak, and he's, I, he's very serious about his spiritual path, I could just see he's refining his spiritual intelligence now. I just see this man go through such a change. Like everything he knew, just like we are, you and I, we're all on a spiritual path, and it's good, and there's challenge. But now I can see like when he's put into these great moments of challenge, he starts, he's starting to dig into, and refine that spiritual intelligence. And, um, I, I, you know, whether he survives or doesn't survive, I think he's going to, it's going to, that great catastrophe of cancer is going to probably be one of the biggest blessings for his spiritual evolution because he's seeing it with spiritual goggles. Now this is different for people who believe like we're just here for this life because 
you know, it's all for the, it's all for the good means no sense. If you're, if you're here, what are you talking about? You're going to leave your wife, you're going to die. Your wife's going to be alone. Your kids are going to be alone. What do you mean? It's all good. It's not all good. Now it's miserable. But if life is eternal and there is a benevolent hand in everything, then leaving your body in spiritual consciousness is the goal of life. Hmm. And, and it's the perfection of your marriage and of your friendships and of your parenting, you know, and, 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 and then it's, if, if the wife, I'm using this situation, it could be anybody's situation. If the wife is alive, then yeah, she'll have to dig deeper to take care of two kids and to find, or, or maybe remarry or, you know, to find a person in their life that is, um, that can lift her up or that she can have a spiritual partnership or that she just gets, or she just says, you know what? Life is temporary. I lost my husband. I'm going deep inside now to find connection and give connection to these two children of mine. And it could be the thing that saves her spiritual life is having someone that she loves leave her. So there is benevolence in even disaster. Mm -hmm. We are not abandoned. This isn't happening to us randomly. Um, and it's hard to forget that because it seems like the world is random. There is life and death and good fortune. And that, that guy gets whatever he wants and wasn't fair. And it's not fair. I've done so much it's all perfect and there is benevolence behind all actions that come to us. Yeah. And well, it's sometimes hard to see with the material lens in the same way a teenager getting chastised by the parents saying, you can't take the car tonight because you never finished that exam or you never did any studying. And the teenager cannot see, what are you talking about? How dare you? All my friends are going out. It's completely not fair. You know, they can, no matter how you explain it, the child can't see. Hmm. Yeah, well, just real quick before we go, because I know you had until 2.45, I just wanted to say that it reminds me when John Joseph was here, he was talking about how um, we are not this material body, we're the spirit soul. And it's not that we don't, we aren't a body who has a soul, we are a soul that has a body. So whether that's your way to look at it, isn't it? Even, even death itself, you're, it's a, you know what I mean? The physical body is dying and then you will, if you believe in that or whatever you believe in, but according to the Veda, the Vedas is you will reincarnate into something else. So it's like a, it's almost a, it's a freeing thought one. And then, um, yeah, I just. Well, whether we believe it or not, the body's dying mm -hmm. and whether we believe it or not, we're witnessing it dying. Like I witnessed my five-year-old body die, my 10-year-old body die, my 25-year-old mm. body die. We've even, we've even witnessed our subtle body die. Like I remember my 25-year-old ego or my 18-year-old ego. I'm sure you guys can remember when you're 18 years old. It was different than when you are now. You've witnessed it change. So if you've witnessed it change, who are you that's doing the witnessing? So we are experiencing reincarnation right now, mm. right? I'm looking at your, your guys' faces and I'm, you guys remind me of me being in the hardcore scene at, you know, at young ages. And I'm looking at my own face in the Zoom screen like, oh man, you're such an old bastard compared to these young kids. And I'm thinking, oh man, what happened to my face? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's the deal. I'm watching reincarnation happen with my own body. Mm. And then I'll leave this body. And then my body, the body will just rot. But there's consciousness behind it all. So while we're here, we got to hear important information and then put that information to practice. Mm -hmm. When we hear knowledge, that's good. But when we put it to practice, that becomes wisdom. 
Yeah. We want wisdom when we're working in this world so we can separate ourselves at this greatest challenge we'll have, which is leaving the body. And I think planting seeds is also very important, especially in this age with people like just being who you are and they know, they notice how this is and they, they take their inspiration. Cause I, I've talked to people, especially in, in particular about veganism um, or just vegetarianism, whatever. I spoke to a friend I had and he said that, um, yeah, he just said that like, I'm one person. How can I change that whole industry? It doesn't matter. I can't make a change. So, but I told him that with, with one person, that's how it starts by planting a seed. And that's, yeah, it grows sure. and grows and grows. So. It's just like people look up to you and they want to, we don't live in a bubble or a vacuum or an, uh, on an island. When you change, people notice you and they'd be like, what is he doing? That seems cool. I want to do that. I mean, come on. We're part of this world. You want to change the world, change yourself. Um, we say learn it, live it, and then give it. Mm. So first, first we got to learn it <laughs> and then we got to, okay, that makes sense. Now I want to apply it. And once you apply it, then you want to give it to other people. You know, that's part of it, but it's not going to work. I can't just skip, jump right to give it. <laughs> I have to learn it and live it. <laughs> so you guys are doing a great job, but yeah. I give it a good, good job. I'm yeah. very impressed. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the show, man. Keep up the good work. I'm I hope serious. to. I hope to hopefully uh, meet you soon one day, whether if there's anything going on, I'll give you a follow on Instagram and then we can, I'm really trying to be a part of whatever kind of positive community is going down, whether it be, you know, a cooking, cooking for the hungry. I also want to learn uh, Ayurvedic uh, cooking eventually. It's very interesting stuff, man. Yeah. My friend Divya runs a restaurant in New York city, Divya's kitchen. Okay. And she's, she's awesome. Okay. Um, I'll but definitely check it out. Courses. She teaches at the Bhakti Center sometimes too on 25 First Avenue. That's a, that's a super cool community that I go down and I'm part of whenever I can too. So hopefully I'll see you there sometime. Yeah, we're going to check it out. All right. Thanks, man. Keep up the good work. Let me know when this comes out. Yeah, for sure. Peace. Okay, brother. Hi, Peace.